get out of your way. Because when I get out of my way and I actually open myself up, like I have a business coach we use now, and I actually open myself up to allowing someone else to give me some advice and say, Hey, Sandra, this, right. You really need to go down this route, like hold back on this, do this. It really opens me up for great things to happen. And that, I mean, that's really what's been happening now for us with tidy spaces is like, when I get out of the way, all these things start to happen and it's unbelievable. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a CEO and founder of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and we're always here to help. Now today we have another great uh, guest on the podcast, Sandra DeMaria? DeMaria. Maria. De Maria. I, I was like, oh, I'm going to slaughter this. I was close, but not No, you were close. So um, we'll just go by Sandra, then I'll, then I'll make sure to do it. But uh, give you a quick introduction to Sandra. So I um, didn't go to college right away. I wanted to go into uh, the Olympics with horses, which sounds really interesting. Um, and then kind of um, things fell through with the horses, didn't quite end up uh, working out. So then ended up going off to university. I went to the North Carolina, got an degree. I think it was in Germany, German and psychology, if I remember right. Um, and then went into sales, started out, I think, with copiers, and then got into pharmaceutical sales, and then mm-hmm. biotech, and then uh, took a bit of time off to figure out what she wanted to do after doing sales for a period of time. Started a company helping public speakers booking gigs, and uh, kind of started that business with a few other partners. Um, and then those some of those partners fell through closed that business after a few years and then went into more of the event uh, venue business with another or helping other businesses um, did that for a couple of years as well. And then decided to go out, do her own thing or that, which is with leads her where she's at today, which is with uh, tidy spaces. And she'll get into a little bit more about what that is and, and how that's going. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Sandra. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So now I have to add, just because I messed up on the last name, is it Sandra or Sandra? Which one do you prefer? Sandra is okay. what I prefer. I will answer to either. <laughs> but, hey, I got <laughs> it right the first time, but I'm like, you, got yeah, the, you, you definitely got that right. right. Definitely got that right. <laughs> so I gave kind of a, a brief run through of your right. of your journey, but let's go back a bit in time to where you were going to, you, your plan was to do uh, horses in the Olympics. So tell us a little bit about yes. that and how your journey got started. Yeah. So I rode horses, uh, since I was seven years old, it was just my passion and my love. Um, when I was in high school, um, I had a horse that was definitely Olympic material and that was kind of our goal, our plan. And I graduated high school in 1992. And instead of going away to college, I took three, four years off to try out for the Olympic team. Um, and unfortunately it, you know, it didn't work out. I gave it my best. Um, things don't always work out as planned. And because I was a good student, I made straight A's, Mm. you know, there was this, I had um, other adults that I rode with that were doctors, lawyers, teachers, and they were like, Sandra, you can always come back to horses. They'll always be here, but go to school, get a degree because you got to have a trade to fall back on because very few people make it in the horse industry. It's an extremely expensive sport. It's a very risky sport. Um, I've had several friends with major injuries that have not been able to come back. And it's like 1% of the people really do it to make a living. I mean, Mm. the people that like do the race horses and own them, they're making millions, but that's a whole different sport than what I did. I did three day eventing. 
Um, so I decided to go to school and go, I got a degree actually in biology so, and German. So it's okay. Really quick. Yeah. So what is, for those that don't know, and myself included, what is three-day eventing with horses or what were you going to do in the Olympics with horses? Right. I, 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 I'll plead my ignorance. I didn't even honestly know that horses were in the Olympics. <laughs> I'm more than curious as to what, what you do with horses in the Olympics. Well, in the Olympics, they always keep the equestrian like 200 miles from the action because especially you need a lot of room for them. You need places mm -hmm. to board them. And then you need all the arenas to show them in. So three-day eventing, it was, it's basically like a triathlon for horses. The first phase is dressage. It's your basics. It's flat work. The second phase is cross country, which tests their, their endurance and speed and oh. your bravery. Cause you're like running around the field with your pants on fire, jumping like, like these huge things. It's crazy, but it's fun. Mm. And then the third phase is stadium jumping. So that's the, a lot of people are familiar with show jumpers. That's kind of like a smaller version of that. Um, so it, it, it's tough and um, it's, a, it usually takes place over three days. Hence it's called three day eventing. So that's all right. That interesting. Is. I just was yeah. curious and it's, it's, it shows a bit of my <laughs> ignorance. My wife that's is no. in the Olympics a lot more than I am. So she'll probably tell me how, how I should have known this, but uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> so so now that that fell through and you went off to college and you started insane, you got uh, German and psychology. Is that right? Biology. Biology. It's I said a, it's psychology. A science. It's a... It was biology. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. so, so once you got those now, how did, as you're coming out of school, how did you take German and biology and get into sales? So um, I always wanted to be in science. That was my science and math were my two favorite subjects in school. Um, and I really was going down a pre-vet or a pre-med route. Um, and I worked at a country club during college. I went to Coastal Carolina, small private school down there in Conway, uh, South Carolina. And I worked with all these doctors. And after talking to them, they're like, don't go to medical school. They're like the amount of malpractice, like, you know, they're filling me in on all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them have already been sued like three times. And they're like, unless you go into specialty, the money's not there anymore. Like you should have heard them. They all would have done it differently. <laughs> and I'm like, really? And so they're like, you need to go sell pharmaceuticals. You have mm -hmm. the right personality. You're such a good salesperson. You're smart enough. You'll learn all the, you know, the pharmacology stuff. And they like, you'd be foolish because you'll make great money. You'll have a life. You won't get sued. You'll have your weekends off. Like you should have heard that. Lawyers, they ruin everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I basically, um, you know, I started having second guesses about, do I really want to be a doctor this, that, and the other. And I kind of went and talked to other people in other careers and, you know, that did sales, that did different things. And I just realized that, this was something I really, really wanted to do. And like, cause the thing about going to medical school, it's a commitment and it's a ton of money. You can't mm -hmm. do it halfway. Mm -hmm. And if you have any little bit holding you back like that, to get into that kind of student loans and that kind of, you know, you're talking, I mean, most people I know that did medical school, it's a half million dollars or more they're paying back. It's ridiculous. So I was like, well, I can always go back to medical school. It's not that hard to, you know, apply and, and try to get in. So mm. I decided, um, I came back to Greenville, South Carolina and went to a job fair. Um, I talked to a couple of pharmaceutical companies and they were like, well, you have no business to business sales experience. When you do that for two years, come back and talk to us. And I'm like, well, what do I need to do? And they're like, either go sell cars, cell phones, or copiers. 
So at their job fair was a company called, at that time it was called Quality Business Systems. Um, they sold digital systems, basically copiers. And um, I went for an interview and got hired on the spot. And that's really how it all got started. And um, the guy that hired me is still my mentor and friend today. And I was, that was back in, that was 21 years ago, 2000. But I, and I like the point of the, or and it was a small point of the story, which is they said, go sell one of these three things. And he said, he took that literally, okay, I'll pick copiers. <laughs> Just, it was there. And I was like, how hard can this be to land this job? And it, and it's, it, it's hysterical because I go in for this interview and I'm thinking, you know, this, like I'm looking at all these other people around me and I don't even think they care. I had a college degree. They asked me a couple questions. I don't even remember what it was. Um, oh, I, you know, I, that, that's a, I, that was so long ago, but they just like, we're looking for somebody. And I remember my boss told me this years ago. Um, he said, you just had this hustle about you. You had something like about like an edge about you. And I just knew that if people told, you, no, you weren't going to care. And he's, and he's like, and I knew nothing about sales, nothing about the process, nothing about copiers. I, I mean, if I could plug it in, we were doing good. Um, and so that's how my sales career got started. And to this day, I still use some of the things I learned from that job, which is just unbelievable. You know, when you think back 21 years ago, it's like, oh my God, I still do some of the stuff that Bill taught me. Um, and I'm so great. His name is Bill Canamere. He has a company in Charlotte and he's just so great. And I'm so grateful for everything he taught me years ago. Mm. And, um, and he's a really great person and, um, has done very well for himself. So, yeah. So, so, so you do that now for a period of time. Now, what made you do, you got it, you did uh, copiers and then, then did you get, and then I think if I remember right, you did get into pharmaceutical yes. sales. Is that yes. right? I, yeah, I did copiers for two years. And I mean, it really was a great way to find out if you're made for sales because it's a ton of rejection. You have to, and this was back when cold calling, knocking on doors was how you did it. Now it's so different. And I mean, literally I would just go in and be like, Hey, do you want a copier? I knew nothing. I had no skills, nothing, but they, but he taught me and trained me everything I needed to know. And all I did was I had the hustle and the grind and the grit that a lot of people don't have. It was something he couldn't teach. And I would just set up these appointments and demos and then I'd bring him in and he did his thing. And I don't even know how we got what we got. Eventually I learned what I was doing, but the first few months I just was like, I set seven appointments for tomorrow. And he's like, great, let's just, and a couple of them were like bogus. He's like, why, are, why do you have me in here? I'm like, I don't know. They said they wanted a copier. Like, you know, what else did you, you tell me? They, if they said they wanted to buy it, that's what I was told to do. <laughs> so, but then like over time, he finessed me and I got a skill set and I, it got to where I didn't need him. I could go close my own deals, do my, all my own paperwork, but it was a lot of fun. It was hard because the money, like we got nothing for a salary. It was the commissions you made the money on. And then while I was working for him, I had a pharmaceutical company. At that time, it was um, a contract company called Cardinal Health. Hmm. And they, they did an interview with me. I actually went and met the boss, the manager for lunch, um, Bill Paisley. Unfortunately, he passed away this past year. Um, and he called me up and he's like, I like you. I will have, we're like relaunching a product. We're gonna have a couple new territories. I will have a job for you in two to three months. And I was like, okay. He's like, just chill out and hang doing what you're doing. Don't take any other offers. 
Um, mm -hmm. And I had other, I had two other people that knew this manager. They're like, yeah, he wants to hire you. You're good. And three weeks later, he called me and said, somebody just left the company. The territory is an hour away from you, but you can at least get started with us. We can get your training going. And I got in with Cardinal Health. They got bought from a company called Bar Laboratories. And then Bar Laboratories later on down in, through the years got bought from Teva Pharmaceuticals. Teva is still in business today. I believe they are the top producer of all generics. I mean, what are they like a six, $7 billion company? Um, they're big. And we, I did all women's health. Mm called on OBGYNs. So, so now you did pharmaceutical sales for a while and you went back and forth between a couple of the, the various companies. Now, yeah. once you got, you know, and then I think after that, you took a break before doing public speaking and helping others to do public speaking or tell us yeah. a little bit of what, what made you decide to take a break? You know, so you did, you got the degree and then you said, okay, sales is the path to go. Then you went and sold copiers, got the experience. Then you got into pharmaceuticals, which is what you were shooting for. Right. What made you decide to, you know, go a different direction or to take that break and, uh, and then eventually get more into helping people do public speaking or book public speaking goods. Bit, yeah. So gig, I, gigs. Yeah, yeah. So I did pharma and then I did a bio, a biotech for about two years after. And so I did a total with all that about 12 plus years. And at the end of it, <clears throat> unfortunately, I'm probably gonna get in trouble for saying this, you know, these pharma companies, they're very greedy. Um, you have, you know, it got very over inundated with salespeople. You had all these pods and, you know, the way they, they had too many people selling the same product and it's a lot of money they're spending, but they're also spending a ton of money and on drug and research and, um, and samples and all of that. And it got very unethical. Like I had a manager, one of my last managers that I worked for, um, I mean, he's a nice guy, but he just wasn't for me. He was a bully and he wanted you to sell off label with which the FDA and the Department of Justice would not be okay with. And, you know, mm. they're threatening your job. They're threatening you like you need to do this or you're not going to have a job. Now, I was in the top 5% of my company for about four years straight. I was mm. always at 123% of my sales. I was untouchable. So I, of course push the envelope. Like I'd talk, not talk back to him, but I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that because it's not legal. It's not ethical. And that's not okay. Like you cannot sell a product off label. That is so wrong on so many levels. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody saw that movie, love and other drugs that was written by an actual farm farmer rep for Eli Lilly. And there's things that happen in that movie. And of course it's Hollywood based so things are taken over the top but there are some things in there that yeah you really can't do like that's not okay so they had we had like a lot of layoffs going on like something like a 60 percent layoff and I just called the company and said um if you're looking for volunteers I'm ready to go because <laughs> I was done I I literally I believed enough in myself to know I could find another job I could do something else and there was always other opportunities out there. And I don't need this. I don't need to be bullied and threatened. And, you know, I want to sleep well at night and feel like I'm doing something for others and putting something out there that's worthwhile. And I just, I was done. Um, and so they call us one day and let us go and everybody else is crying. I'm drinking lunch. I mean, I'm like, hey, let's go have a cocktail because there's something else out there. 
Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's what people forget is what their worth is. And they get sucked into like, my boss tells me I'm this and that's all I can do. So um, I then so, took about, sorry, I took, I ended up taking about two years off. I traveled, I did, I had fun. Um, I turned 40, had a big party. Um, and then I realized, well, maybe I should go back to work and do something. So I just started thinking about what I like to do. And I met, um, I met this girl through, you know, at that time it was all the meetups, the networking events. And I met, um, this girl named Michelle, who we just started talking. And I had a concept about helping speakers find gigs because I had a couple friends that were speakers and they always struggled finding paid gigs. And what it is, is they were really good at speaking. They just weren't good at selling themselves. And I'm like, oh, you just need somebody to sell you. I can do that. How hard can that be? And so through that, we started this company called iCubed Agency, which stands for um, Influence, Inspire, Impact. And we met some other people. We ended up having five partners, which probably wasn't the smartest thing, but you know, it was a good learning experience. So we got into this with five people. And unfortunately, I think three of them really wanted to start getting paid within three months of the business starting. And, you know, as an entrepreneur and these startups, you don't always, as the owner, you don't always get paid right away. Sometimes you do, but I think it just depends. And it's really hard when you have five people that are running this business and only one of us right here was the only one out there selling. And they're all like, well, why aren't we getting paid? And I'm like, well, go out and sell something. And maybe you will. Like, I mean, we all have to kind of contribute and wear multiple hats. So that's how I got into that. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of really interesting speakers. Um, some really good, some needed work. But we set it up where they just paid us a percentage of like what they got paid. Mm -hmm. um, and we also ended up doing some um, conferences one was an anti-bullying conference that we didn't do any marketing. We didn't know what we were doing. We really didn't. And um, we somehow had 400 people show up for this thing with minimal everything, but it turned out to be a lot of fun. And it was for preteens and teens. A ton of kids showed up and got a lot out of it. And it was amazing. The stories that were shared, um, the different people that came to speak. A lot of people wrote books about bullying that came and talked to these kids. And it was a great experience. Um, and it's something like it was, it's one of those things that I would love to get back into something like that down the road, because it was such a good thing to do for the local community, for the kids. And it was something that you could offer in a lot of cities all over this country that could be very beneficial. Um, Cause bullying is really different from where it was where, when we were kids. So I love, I really enjoyed that. And I'd love to get into something like that again, down the road. But well, that's cool. Now it sounds like a fun business. Sounds like, you know, always some trade-offs with partners and, you know, if everybody pulls their own weight and everybody feels like they're contributing and inevitably my experience is that you'll always have some that pull or put or pull more weight than others and contribute yeah. more and how everybody views it. So it's always a bit of a juggle. So now you did that for a couple of years and then you, I think you transitioned or moved into doing a, a event a venues business with another business or with other businesses. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so while I had iCubed agency going, I had a company reach out to me that had just, it was a catering company um, and they had just purchased or rented an event venue and they were having a hard time getting 
people to, you know, rent it out. They're like, we don't know really what to do with the space. And I can't remember how I met them. It was probably at some event or something. And I talked to the owners and they did a quick interview with me. And I said, well, I'll come in part-time and give you about 20, 25 hours a week. This is what I can do. That lasted about a month, maybe two months. And then they're like, we want you full-time. Um, and I said, okay. I said, well, you know, if I do it, this is the, I want to work from home. Like, you know, I had all my list of stuff and they worked with me. They were really fair. Well, then about halfway into 2016, it was around the summer, the owner approached me to take over the company. He goes, I have a lot of problems. And I'm like, you think, um, he had people running people that were in charge of me that should have never been in charge. Um, they had no business. They didn't know anything about running a business. They had no standard operating procedures. It was like, they were a really good bartender and they were made sales director with no educate, no formal education, nothing. It was just, mm. and he couldn't understand why he wasn't making money. And I'm like, well, because you have somebody sitting there selling your wedding venue to people who can't afford it. And instead of her saying, we're not the right fit, She's just discounting things across the board, even discounting labor. Labor is one of the most expensive things in that industry. You don't discount it. And he wasn't making money. He was having a lot of problems. So basically he approached me and said, you have everything I'm looking for in a leader. You're exactly what I want. I need you to take over this. And I was like, no, <laughs> he approached, he approached me like six times. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do this. This is a ridiculous hours I'm going to work. Like there's a lot of problems here. I don't want to take it over. So then he finally said, I have to do something. You have to help me. And I said, okay, we're in September of 2016. We got about three, four months less to the end of the year. I'll fill in while you interview and find the right person, but that's it. And I need a raise. So he gives me a raise. I took over and I had a meeting with them December of 2016 and I'm like, hey, have you found anybody? What's going on? No, we really like you and want you to stay. What do we have to do to keep you? And he said, can you show me what you were paid with pharma and all that? So I pulled out some old offer letters and I said, don't pass out. Because I mean, he's, he's a small business. He's a $3 million company. He's not going to be able to afford what I got with pharma. So he looked at it. He goes, I can't afford this. I'm like, I know you can't. And I'm not going to ask you to do that because you would end up bankrupt. I said, but what you can is this. And I wrote some stuff down that I wanted. We agreed on most of it. We had, I mean, it was some negotiation. And so I said, okay, I will take over on one condition. I have to let go about 70% of the people that currently work for you on the catering and the event venue. And you need to let me hire who I need to hire and you need to invest some money. You're going to pay a little more in your salary to get the right people in here. And um, don't call me up and complain about it. I need six months to get this where it needs to be for you. And um, basically don't bother me and yell at me that I'm costing you money. And his wife, thank God for her. She was amazing. She got it. She was very progressive thinking. She understood what I was trying to do. She saw the writing on the wall and she totally backed me up. And if I couldn't get it from him, I got it from her. That was something I needed. And within six months, he was only making about $60 a person when he did a wedding. This was the venue, the catering, the bar, everything. Within six months, he was making over 150 a person because I changed up how we did it. I put in a contract. 
I mean, I researched contracts. I called his attorney to have them help me draw. I would like write up a contract, send it to them to make sure it's legal. Cause you know, they make it all fancy with the <laughs> sure. big words, you know that. Um, and that was it. We turned it around and I did that until April of 2019. Now what made um, you I decide just, on, uh, on April 2019 to kind of, you know, after putting in a whole bunch of effort, building yeah. the business, turning it around, what made you decide, okay, I want to go do my own thing? Um, well, event and anybody that works in the event industry, whether you're a caterer, you run an event venue, you're an event planner, a wedding planner, it's a lot of hours, a lot of time, and you give up a lot of your personal life. And I just kind of was like, I'm done. Like I did it for almost three years. Um, I was tired. He was wanting to get out of it. I knew that like he actually got out of the venue and just kept the catering business. So I just sent them a nice note and said, it's time for me to go. I'll give you 30 days and that's it. And I really had no plan. Everybody's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I'm going to take like at least 30 days off and clear. I was exhausted. I mean, I worked 80 to hundred hours a week. And even though I was in charge, I still didn't work for myself. I mean, he was the only person I had to answer to, the boss of the, of the business, but I still had to answer to someone and I just sure. didn't want to anymore. And so, now, so, so, so yeah, so you make that decision and you say, okay, I'm going to go do my own. I'll take a little bit of time off. I'll give them 30 notes, give it, take a little bit of time off. Now, how did you, you know, decide from there to go to what you're doing? I think now, which is tidy spaces, kind of, how did you land on that and and then how has that gone since you've uh, made that transition to be your own boss? Yeah. So what happened was um, at the same time, my current business partner, Susan, she had reached out to me. We kind of, actually I hadn't talked to her in a few years. And I met her years ago through um, a retail store because her background was fashion and retail. She reached out to me. Um, she was like a regional manager for Talbot's. And they had shut down the store in Charleston and she was not in a position to move with them. They wanted to move her. And she reached out to me that, you know, she's not sure what she wants to do, blah, 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 blah. And this was right around April of 2019. And I was like, Hey, Suze, I said, you remember when I bought my house? Like, you know, this was like seven years ago and I had the closets custom done and you came in and organized for them and they looked amazing. And, you know, I've stuck with every system you put into play. I said, how come you haven't turned that into a business? Like, that's a great, I said, don't you know, there's a whole national association of professional organizers out there. Like this is a business and it doesn't look like it's that hard to start. Da, 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 da. She goes, you know, Sandra, I've thought about that because I have a couple friends that I did a few things for, like I did for you, but she goes, Sandra, I really, there's things about the business. I don't know. And I wouldn't even know how to start a website, social media. Like you got to be able to do all that now. And that's just not my thing. And I said, but I know how to do that. Like I, I could help you. So we met in like later that month um, at a Mexican restaurant in Hilton Head, South Carolina over tacos and tequila. We came up with Tidy Spaces, the name, the concept. It took us about an hour to put it all together. And we just had our two-year-old birthday on Mother's Day, May 9th of 2019. We officially were LLC'd. And um, that first year, we didn't do a ton of clients. We did just a few things because we were really trying to figure stuff out. Like, do we want a website? You know, all these things that go with the business, putting in operations, a process. And um, we, you know, we just kind of came together and it was around January of 2020 
we, her and I talked and said, okay, what do we really want to do with this? Like, are we going to do this full time? Is this going to be a hobby? Where are we going? And I was at the point where it's like, well, I just want to work for myself. So we can definitely do something with this. There's other things I want to do. And we just decided, okay, we're going to move forward with this. So we hit the streets. Like we got people booked. We had clients lined up. We were doing a ton of stuff with seniors and people like downsizing from big houses to assisted living. That was kind of becoming our specialty. Well, then what happened in March of 2020 COVID? Do you think mm -hmm. any senior citizen was going to let us in their house? <laughs> Even with mask and, a glo and gloves on, no way. We lost mm -hmm. every client we booked from March and through April, I think May, June, I had clients booked March through June, every single client canceled. And I didn't know if I was going to get them back. Um, and we couldn't even get into like assisted living to help them get moved in things like that. So we then were like, okay, what are we going to do? And I said, well, we got to go virtual. I said, there's this, you know, all this zoom out there and FaceTime, we got to figure out how to do this. We got to really hit social media hard. We, we've just got to do more. So we ended up hiring um, three amazing young women that work for me that help us with content, social media, blogs, things like that, that are way smarter than those of us that are a little older and they're super talented and they really helped us drive that social media and, you know, make sure it looks good. We, we're getting real followers, not fake ones. And we just then were like, we did a few virtual, like like we are right now on Zoom, helping people organize their closets, like whatever you can come up with to survive. And then by end of May, beginning of June, we were able to start getting into people's houses. And we, like I did some work with a realtor. Um, I had several realtors I did work with and we just started building and it's just kind of been a snowball effect. Um, I actually ended up coming back to South Carolina because unfortunately my dad is not doing well but things here have been going really well. Um, and, you know, we've had our ups and downs, but overall it's great. Like everything that you wish for is happening. And now it's to the point where I'm getting ready to hire some salespeople to help with sales because Susan and I are getting so busy with the jobs. Like you got to find that balance. And, you know, I just put an ad out and I must have like 50 resumes to read now. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to really do this all over again. But this hey, is plen the this always is plenty to keep you busy. Yeah. So. But this is the fun of it. Like, you know, it's that for me, it's like that drive that like, like somebody says, like, when do you work? I'm like, I'm working all the time, but it sometimes doesn't feel like work. I don't know if that's sure. like that for you. Absolutely. It, no, I always, I used, always used to joke that, uh, you know, my hobbies were startups in the sense that usually if I wasn't working or doing my business, I was, my mind was always thinking about the next business idea or the next startup or the next day. And yeah. so, well, as we, as we, and there's always more things to talk about than time yeah. to talk about them. So as we, as we start to wrap towards the end of the podcast, that kind of brings us up to where, where you're at today. I always have two questions that I ask at the end of each podcast. So why don't we jump to those now? Okay. So the first question I always ask is, Along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? And what did you learn from it? Um, so I think the worst business decision was, I think, probably when I was getting into the iCubed agency. And I think something that happened was not asking for help, allowing my ego to get into the way, in the way of what we were doing and not asking either my partners for help or like mm -hmm. other people, whether it was a business coach or somebody else who had done it. I think that really 
probably was part of the downfall of that business. I mean, I'm glad in a way the business failed because I learned a ton from it. Um, but I think not asking for help was the biggest mistake because I think had I like sat down and gotten some help in areas where I thought I needed or I thought I didn't need it when I really needed it, mm. I think it would have been different. But I think I needed to learn that lesson. So I no, think and that I, was and the I think that you know that one's oftentimes is a entrepreneur is a startup or minded individual, someone that, you know, likes to, to be in charge. It's always hard to step back mm -hmm. and say, Hey, wait a minute. I don't know everything. Some things I need to learn. I need to ask for help. A lot of times there's a lot of people willing to give that help and willing to, to, you know, give input, give feedback, pitch in or whatnot. But if you never ask, they'll never know to help. So I think that that's an easy mistake to, to learn, but something some definitely or easy mistake to, to make, but it definitely something to learn from. So now, as we jump to the second question, which is, if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Um, I think, and this I just recently really learned, <laughs> um, get out of your own way. <laughs> I think it is, I am someone that I can do anything I want when I, when I am like on fire and at the top of my game. But when I'm in a place where like either I'm not in agreement or I'm resisting or in the wrong mindset, oh my gosh, what a big chaotic mess it can be. And I think I've had to learn this. And I think anybody that is truly that entrepreneur who's driven and ambitious, we want to control everything and do it our way. Just like, you know, the Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way, <laughs> which sure. would be my theme. Mm. Um but get out of your way because when I get out of my way and I actually open myself up, like I have a business coach we use now and I actually open myself up to allowing someone else to give me some advice and say, Hey, Sandra, this, right. You really need to go down this route, like hold back on this, do this. It really opens me up for great things to happen. And that, I mean, that's really what's been happening now for us with tidy spaces is like when I get out of the way, all these things start to happen and it's unbelievable. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful that that is a lesson I've learned. I'm willing to learn it. I hope I don't have to repeat it again, but I might. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing that if you want to get into this, just get out of your way and, and listen to others because that uh, has truly helped me. And I like that. I think that that's certainly good advice and certainly something that people can take to heart as they are, as they're getting their startup up and going. Well, as we wrap up, um, if people want to connect up with you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any <laughs> or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out, find out more? Um, so we have a website, tidyspaces.com. Um, also, I can be reached at Sandra at tidyspaces.com or follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And Instagram, it's the Tidy Spaces and Facebook, it's Tidy Spaces LLC. Um, we do a lot of tips and tricks and advice out there for organizing and anything to get you organized and motivated in your home or office. But um, we'd, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out. And I look forward to hopefully meeting some of your followers one day. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage everybody, especially those that need to keep their spaces tidy, which is just about everybody, <laughs> um, to reach out, find out more, and then and get involved. So, yeah. well, thank you again, Sandra, uh, for coming on. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com. We'd love to have you on the show. 
two more things as a listener as listeners one make sure to click subscribe in your podcast player so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out and two leave us a review so others can find out about all of our awesome episodes last but not least if you ever need help with patents trademarks or anything else with the business just go to strategymeeting.com grab some time with us to chat thank you again uh, sandra and uh wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last thank you so much Devin. it's been a pleasure